Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas today. Guys, we are in the consumer products world, but with a new and different angle on it. You're going to love this company called Foresight. And on the podcast today is my new good friend, Mark Jeffries. He's the CEO and founder. Mark, it's so great to have you on the podcast <laughs> with your dogs. Well, thank you for having me. It's <laughs> awesome to be here. I love it. And we've got your dogs with you. It's so, so fun. Um, hey, man, it's been so great meeting you and getting to know your background. Um, Love, you know, we have a lot in common around the consumer goods world. I can't wait to dive into that today. But let's do this. So I noticed in your background, you do you did spend time at Big CPG at Procter and Gamble. I think before that at Colgate. But share with our audience just a little bit of your your path before we get to how you started this business. Sure. Well, I was in business school. I interned at Colgate uh, in brands and marketing. I'm Tom Olive. And uh, after graduating business school, I had an offer with Proctor and uh, decided to come originally from New York, but said, well, I'll try two years in Cincinnati. Two uh, years. <laughs> for 17. Nice. <laughs> Great town. With the 17 pretty quickly. Um, but it was a, a classic kind of P&G career. So um, uh, what, what P&G used to do a lot more of, which is put people in different sectors and different brands. Now they do a lot more continuity. So throughout that almost 17 years, I was on always, I was in personal health care, I was a brand manager on Pampers, I was a brand manager on hair care. I ran our what's called dollar and emerging. So they put you in more customer, you know, retailer uh, roles. Sure. And then on Amazon and my last assignment, I was, uh, I led the Gillette business. So That's Gillette so awesome. during the time of Dollar Shave Club. Right. Which so was, I was going to say, uh, major competition. Quite the ride. Yeah. 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 So, okay. A little I have, bit of a microscope. I love that. Well, I have to ask, I didn't plan to ask that, but since you brought it up, I mean, you were there during that time and I'm involved with a bunch of the consumer goods industry organizations. And we always bring up the whole, you know, look back in the day when Dollar Shave challenged Gillette and it really changed the, the world of e-commerce for big P, big CPG. What was that like from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, they called it the Razor Wars, right? right? I mean, I came in when essentially they had a beachhead. They were 2 million users strong. And right. so I was brought in and, hey, how do we compete in this space? You know, because we knew it was obviously, quote unquote, the future, um, and how do we compete against them? So it was competing against them in our with where we were strong, which were retailers, right? You know, Amazon totally. and others. But also, access. how do we shore up a DTC? So I launched uh, the Gillette on Demand, which essentially you can text your order for blades uh, while I was there. And, you know, that was our proposition to say, how can we provide value to consumers, but then also not uh, dilute the value that we're offering to our retailers, which is always a tough challenge when you're, you know, a big company like, you know, P&G, where you have a big established business in the Walmarts of the world and Amazon's. It's so cool. Yeah, it's funny. We never met um, at PNG. I was just when I was looking back on your background, um, but I did spend a lot of time there. I actually worked on the one consumer place program that my the company I was working for called Teradata at the time had put in place, and so we it was a really cool way to see like the direct to consumer piece come together for a big consumer products company that was looking to evolve. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, I mean how to manage big data and first party data is. You know, something obviously that's a competitive advantage for a lot of DTC brands, right? They have first party data. They know exactly who you are 
Whereas P and G, you buy it at Walmart. Right. You don't know who <laughs> you, you are. You, that's so, exactly right. Uh, you know, it's something you've got to address when you're a P and G. Uh, what a great transition! Obviously, so um, you're at a big brand. You're you're kind of working your way through the traditional, working your way up the big company chain is kind of the way I, I, I saw so a lot of your background. But what what into I guess it was what 2019 when you decided to no, that wasn't when you started the company. But when, tell me about Mobile Agent now and then how you got decided to make the change out of the big company and doing to the startup world. Yeah, so it's kind of a classic entrepreneurial journey in a way. So while I was on Gillette, one of the big pain points that we had was how do you compete against the Dollar Shave Club that is engaging with every comment that a consumer makes online, right? That's how they built their brand. They built their brand. Somebody makes a comment, I love you guys, and they respond as if you know they're having beer with them. Uh, and it was tough for us to compete because it was expensive. So, uh, you know, I saw an opportunity to essentially create an Uberized model for review response and anything engaged in the social space. So when I was at PNG, we would have to hire an agency and they had people sitting in an office somewhere typing response to reviews and social. And then now, uh, you know, I said, well, why don't we make it Uberized? We would scrape the review as soon as it for a client. We'd ping it out to agents who happen to be mobile. They could respond anywhere. The first one to respond would get paid. That was the wow. model. So really built cool. that up to, uh, you know, we did all the Nestle chocolate business, Ferraro Rocher, Totes Umbrellas, et cetera. But what we learned was that the real value for clients was less in responding to the reviews than it was in telling them what was happening in those reviews, right? Um, so, you know, when we said, wow, this is what's happening and here's what consumers are telling you, they were really fascinated with that. So I raised a round of money uh, from a lot of former PNGers and other investors. <laughs> nice. And yep. uh, yeah, <laughs> it helped. That's, that's so funny. It definitely helped. Totally. And, uh, and then I split out the company into a company called Foresight. You know, so we said, hey, listen, this is really a different capability, right? It's a different capability where you're mining reviews versus responding to them totally. and mining many social data. And so we split that out about 15 months ago. And this past summer, I sold mobile agent now this is a very different business so we could i could focus squarely on foresight um and we're growing super fast it's Love an it. exciting place to be very cool um for those that haven't heard of foresight it's foresight s-i-g-h-t advantage.com um check it out um so here's what i read about the company which i i love you talk about big data which again another one of my favorite topics mining thousands of unfiltered real-time user-generated social uh, media reviews, blogs, etc. Um, that content to solve vexing business issues via patent pending machine learning and natural language processing algorithms, which for those don't are not listening, is basically using data to drive decisions through analytics. Um, who maybe if you're not familiar with the space, um, and then so you can and you say let our machine learning let our machines do the learning for you. So talk about um, what this means and and what's the gap it's filling in the industry. Sure. Well, it starts here, which is, uh, as you know, especially in a pandemic, what are people doing? They're flocking <laughs> online. Totally. They are writing reviews. They're writing social comments. They are increasingly online and, of course, buying online. Um, and what we talk about is that data online is a brand's largest data set, period. You think about how many reviews brands have, thousands in most cases. You know, there is no survey, no qualitative focus group that can come close to that magnitude of data. Totally. And the best part of it is it's authentic, right? 
not a focus group is somebody who's like you know positioning what they say to you and <laughs> or to get hope, money hope, <laughs> right <laughs> or to get money exactly yeah. people are just it's raw data one of our clients called it raw data so it starts there that what's the value of that data the other part is two things one is all of your competitor data is out there totally the open available that's right available on their product exactly. and right. then the other Exactly. And then the other part is uh, that it's also time stamped, right? So somebody, you write a review, Justin, that, you know, maybe a year ago, pre-COVID, uh, it's very different than somebody in a category maybe who wrote one now. Totally. And so you can understand over time how people's, you know, uh, experience with the brand has changed. Okay. And we've jumped right to what the company does, which I, I'm glad we did. I want to back up just a little bit. So back to that decision to start your own business and raise money. That's not an easy proposition and not and, and in the data space. It doesn't come with just, you know, I'm going to open my laptop and start collecting data and make a product. So like, tell us about how that all originated. How did the, the initial company start? Yeah. So, uh, it started really uh, you, like most companies with just a concept and an idea, right? Uh, and on a PowerPoint. And I shared that with several other professional colleagues of mine. What do you think? Is there value here? Uh, and then I pitched it really to a couple of really small companies, right? So initially it was like an auto dealer or, you know, sure. where there was no risk, Right. right. And um, because it's like, OK, you, you know, somebody who owns a you know, car dealership, it's like it's very small. And if I don't win them, then OK. Um, and so it really started there. And then um, where I started seeing some of the traction and, you know, I got literally I was for mobile agent now, I was responding to the reviews myself. You know, part of uh, my philosophy is like you can't build a company unless you've done unless the work. Done yourself, the work. Right? Exactly. Totally agree. Exactly. So I, I would be responding. I, I would, I found a partner that would basically scrape the reviews and then I would sit there and respond. And that allowed me to really understand what the process is and where I needed help. Okay. I needed more salespeople. I needed somebody over quality assurance. So I, I got somebody to leave that. Uh, I needed somebody in marketing, et cetera, you know? And so, um, you know, that's, uh, that's where it evolved. And then it got to a point where, Hey, listen, I think I could make this a lot bigger. How much money do I think I need? Sure. Um, and, uh, that's where I started conversations with friends and, and the rest is history as they say. <laughs> did you, ha did you have like a first customer? In other words, was there like that first customer that helped you to say, or val validate your idea or to say, okay, I think this is more than just a cool concept that I'm just doing myself. Yeah, it was uh, Tote Isotoner. So the umbrellas and isotoner slippers. So yep. they we did all their review response. And then once we started doing kind of these monthly letters, first, we didn't charge for them. We said, hey, listen, we're just going to share with you what's happening in your reviews and some data. Um, and uh, they provided feedback that, wow, they really valued that and wanted more of it. And that gave me pause to think, huh, there's probably a lot more that we could do with this data other than what we're sharing back with them. And that's where I said, well, what I really need to do is hire some data scientists to develop algorithms to mine it. Totally. And uh, that's where the raise came in and, and uh, I, I uh, raised money and then started uh, finding some data scientists to develop algorithms where we could really extract insights from literally millions of data points. Sure. Now, I and, and I didn't notice this in your background, but was data like a big part? Are you a data guy or a technology guy or an analytics guy, or did you just know you needed that? Uh, a little bit of all. I mean, uh, 
Somebody said I went to the University of Chicago, the the the, the college of quant jocks, as they <laughs> right. call it. Um, nice. So, uh, to an extent, I've always been, um, you know, and certainly data. I mean, at PNG, as you well know, PNG is a very data based and data driven sure. company, right? Totally. And so, uh, and the, with the consumer at the center, and this is about the consumer. Reviews are a proxy for the consumer experience, right? You know, it's just all it is is just, um, you know, consumers telling you the really, really whether they love your brand or hate your brand and what they like or don't like. Okay. Now, how does this compare in this whole segment compare to like what you would get from a Nielsen or an IRI, which for those that are not in the consumer products world, they basically, those companies collect syndicated data on your consumer products out there. They tell you the type of shopper, who's shopping where, what markets, like who's buying at a specific public store here in Atlanta near my house versus downtown, et cetera. So how does this kind of data either go with that or is it separate from that? Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's complementary. I mean, it's, it's very different kind of data. So, you know, if you think about it, they're really the data sets that you're talking about are either in market data and then, you know, uh, you know, sales data or totally. thing where pricing data. Uh, but then you also have, you know, any type of research data, whether it's quantitative or qualitative, right? So quantitative, more surveys or, you know, uh, big, you know, habits and practices studies or something along those lines versus qualitative, you know, the classic focus group or one-on-one, you know. And the challenge with, you know, so we are less in-market data in the sense of like performance, although a lot of the metrics that we have indicate performance. So, you know, what we like to talk about, you know, a lot of brands talk about brand health uh, and equity factors, right? Absolutely. And how do they do that? They do that in a survey. So you might get, you know, just in a survey that says, do you trust this brand? And then you, you know, you rank it, which is so artificial. Right. You think about it, it it's incredibly artificial. It's like, um, and so instead we use uh, something called NRC an emotional lexicon, the national research council, where if you think about it, there are certain words that evoke different emotions, right? Um, so for example, I always use this example, uh, because, you know, we just uh, finished a presidential campaign. The word protect is a word that evokes trust in the English language, right? Protect social security, protect America. You know, these words evoke emotions, you know, um, you know, the word pandemic evokes fear. Right. So we haven't determined this, but the National Research Council has literally crowdsourced thousands of people literally to associate words with different emotions. So instead of asking somebody, I I share this and this is where it comes to a head. Instead of asking somebody, do you trust this brand? We literally combine all of the comments that they made to see if they are using trust words because people are inadvertently of either evoking different, you know, emotions of fear, anger, trust, joy, whatever the case may be. So it's a lot more authentic way to get it a really, really versus kind of an artificial lab, you know, type of uh, uh, research approach. And are companies trying to do this today with their own in-house teams or are they not able to do it? I mean, kind of, you know, are you basically solving a problem so that they don't have to, you know, when you talk about big brands like Nutella and Crest and, and Butterfinger and whatnot, I mean, like, you know, are you solving those problems for those brands? Yep. So the short answer is it depends on the type of company, right? You know, bigger companies are starting to do some of this in-house or, uh, you know, kind of playing around with it. More medium-sized companies, a little less so. Um, You know, and uh, the other thing is I think more and more, I mean, we just presented to a client yesterday that said, hey, listen, I used to go around for the analysis that we did 
for for them. I used to go around to three different cities and do seven focus groups and right. spend so all this true. time. Yeah. And, 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 oh, by the way, eat all the M&Ms, right? Totally. Uh, from behind the focus group room. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and this essentially provided me with a lot more robust data and more actionable. And that's where the real thing is like, at the end of the day, people don't want a book of insights. They want a couple and then some decisions, right? Act. Totally. Exactly. Okay. So, um, as you've grown the business, you, you took it from one to be and spun it off to become foresight. Um, what has been the keys to growth of the business and like, how have you gotten the word out and like, where are you guys in the market today? Yeah. I mean, the, the keys to the business, I mean, at the end of the day, just like any business is you're providing true value. Right. And you're always learning where is the value. You know, you have to read your clients on like, you know, even after you present an engagement, like where was the value and is there more value there? How can you make it even more actionable and how can you embed, embed the learning? Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, we've grown, we're, we're primarily in CPG. So a lot of PNG brands, as you can anticipate, because that's sure. my background, of course, but a lot in tech tech care too, because, you know, wow. pet is a, just a massive, massive market. People spend $80 a year on laundry. They spend 850 on their pets. <laughs> Think about Unbelievable. that. You know, Unbelievable. So pet toys and food and, oh, yeah. you know, everything. Um, and then food is another big one. So as you can anticipate, you think about this capability, there are reviews for everything, right? There are reviews for appliances, there are reviews for you know, cars, there are reviews for, you know, anything and everything. So from a capability standpoint, it certainly can be applicable in many different verticals, you know, but CPG is, you know, uh, the one where we're, uh, we're focused most. Yeah. You know, it's like the ultimate voice of the customer. But that's kind of what I thought you were creating is like, we're bringing you true voice of the customer. We're scraping all of the voices of the customer about your product and serving that up to you. Yep. Yeah. And in real time, right? Oh, wow. So it's yep. not, uh, you think about it, like you do a survey over six weeks or whatever. In this environment, six weeks is a long time, right? You know, I mean, a lot happens in six weeks in our world these days with COVID and presidential elections and everything. So the fact that you can get it very quickly um, is, uh, is is a, another value. That's pretty cool. Um, so, okay, in terms of the overall business and, and who you're focused on, who is your like primary buyer within the within these companies? Yeah, it's a good question. So it's often insights people, but then also brand, right? In some companies, it could be like at Procter, they have products research, which are kind of basically insights people within R&D. But typically, it's uh, insights or brand folks, you know, people who are closest to the consumer and and interested in the consumer. That's and are there any barriers to getting the the scraping that data? Are is there anything holding you back from getting some of the um like some of the feedback data from or review data that's out there? Um, what I would say is any public data we can get. We're not Cambridge Analytica, right? right. So you know we're not going <laughs> to go after private data. And of course, you know, there are, we have one client who said, Hey, listen, there, there are Facebook groups that are private. We would love to mine that data. I'm like, okay, well, you know, we're not going to falsify a name and go in there and pretend we're somebody and scrape all the data of this private group. You know, that's just, it's unethical. Right. And you have to, I mean, look, it, it, even, you know, recently Amazon and a bunch, you know, I mean, there are a lot of privacy concerns, right? 
over over uh, over personal data. So we have to be super careful, and we don't find uh, private data, right? We don't have birthdays, we don't have social security numbers, or anything that is personally identified, uh, identifiable. Yeah, PII data, you know, yep. and so that's yep. exactly that is super important. Yeah. And then the last thing I just want to ask you, we talked a lot about um, consumer data and brand data. And one other thing you guys talk about is a landscape like, view, which basically is a category view. Um, what does that look like? And are you able to bring the category view to a company in addition to the individual brands within that category? The short answer is yes. So a category view, I'll give you an example. We had a, a client who was looking to, I'm going to mask it a little so we don't give away sure. because they haven't decided, uh, <laughs> nice. but they were looking to get into a new category, right? Adjacent category. And there were five major competitors. And so from a landscape assessment, they wanted to understand a couple of things. What are those competitors' biggest vulnerabilities, right? What are their Achilles heels? Um, because if they can understand, hey, this is where consumer needs are not being met, then they can come in and position themselves to meet that, right? As well as, hey, what are the real delighters? Where are consumers loving the other brands, right? You know, so, and then also how are consumers just talking about it? So as they're looking to enter this market, how do they communicate within that, right? The other totally. thing that they want to understand, we have a capability that we call footprint miner, uh, where if you write a review, you've also probably written a hundred other reviews for, you know, you wrote a review for laundry, but then you wrote a book for a review for a book or, you know, for a, a lamp that you bought or God, God knows what, or even a car. Um, if you wanted to understand as a brand, the persona of your target or your competitor, typically what do you do? You'll go through a focus group process and you'll, you'll find one person. Oh, they buy Mercedes Benz. Oh, that's totally. our target. Totally. One person. <laughs> as opposed to if we're able to mine thousands of reviews, people who are your lovers, like they've written, written a five star about you. And what else do they love? This, these are the brands that they love and these are the brands they're buying. And then you're able to at scale, understand that it's hugely powerful. Right. Um, so that that opens up a whole different perspective also for media buying. Totally. How can you use that for media buying? You know, this brand, you know, they, you know, they might, uh, you know, buy, tend to buy minivans or something. Then instead of buying 18 to 35 on TV, you're buying against minivan, uh, you know, ads. Totally. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, very, very cool though. I mean, very, very cool. Um, so I always like to ask our, uh, our guests, like what have been two or three of the biggest lessons learned in launching and growing their business. And I'd love for you to do the same, especially for the entrepreneurs that are listening to our podcast. Yeah. The first I would say is more, uh, don't get too many fixed costs too early. Right. You know, because it's very easy to, you know, you try to keep as many of your costs as variable as possible. Right. Because if you're not growing as fast, I made that uh, mistake early on. Um, and I brought on too many people too fast. And then it's like, oh crap, the revenue is not coming totally. in as fast. Totally. And then you got to pull back, you know, so if you can manage that where you have flexibility early on until you have some assurance that, okay, we're, we've got the revenue, we've got the top line that I can pay for these people. So that's more of a business one. Um, and then the other two I would say are kind of related. One is just being, don't be married to your idea. It's very easy to get married to your idea because it's yours, right? Totally. And you're like, no, this is mine. I know it's right. And of course <laughs> right. you want that passion, but you also have to go where the value is. Right. You know, if after a while consume, you know, your, your clients or whoever you're, whatever you're selling, you know, that they see value somewhere else, 
then you have to be open to pivot to that, right? And so um, it's very hard as an entrepreneur where you have your emotional, you're emotionally attached to an idea uh, to let go of it and just say, hey, listen, maybe that didn't work and it looks like there's better value over here. Totally. I completely agree. Love the advice. Um, share with our audience where they can connect with you, learn about your business, uh, learn about your solutions, et cetera. Yeah, so you can connect you know, for, with me personally on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, Mark Jeffries, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-F, very unusual spelling. Uh, or um, you can uh, just go to, as you had mentioned, uh, the number four, S-I-G-H-T, foresightadvantage.com is our website. And uh, have a look and reach out to us there. That's awesome. Well, Mark, it's uh, been great meeting you. Lots of potential for your company. I have a lot of ideas of how you could leverage that data. And um, it's, it's exciting to see what you're doing in this space. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.